This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Gemar Chesima Friends, I've been on trips in my life. The furthest trip I've ever taken was to Australia. I had the privilege to give Shurim in the land down under. And let me tell you something. Australia is a schlep. I have a magnet collection. One of my favorite magnets is a yellow map of Australia. It says, Australia, what a schlep. You know, first you got to go to Los Angeles, and then you have a layover, and then you have to fly 16 hours on a plane, literally, to the other end of the world. And, you know, it's like you might as well go to the moon. Then the other week I was invited to speak in Cleveland. What is it, uh, an hour flight or so? It was a Thursday, I was invited to give a tshuva drasha in Cleveland on a Thursday night before Rosh Hashanah. My flight is scheduled to take off at 2.10 p.m. I arrive in the airport in plenty of time. They said the plane is just a little bit late in arriving from Cleveland, so it's going to be a slight delay. It was, uh, it was only a 10-minute delay. We get on the plane and we're sitting on the runway and an hour passes, and they say, well, there's some an issue, what kind of issue? Weather. Uh, weather, what are you talking about? It was literally 90 degrees and sunny outside. Two hours pass, they say they're w- waiting for a new route, to reroute. There's a hurricane, I don't know, they made the whole thing up. They say, don't worry, there's plenty of fuel, even though we've been sitting on the runway for two hours. A third hour passes. Now, we're out of fuel. We have to go back to refuel. A guy gets on the plane. He says, sorry, the flight's been canceled. So here it is. It's just an hour flight, and we didn't even get off the runway. So friends, trips are fraught with danger, impediments, challenges. Sometimes you don't even take off. This time of the year, we are all embarking on a very long and challenging journey. Where are we going? What is the destination? The destination is further than Australia. It's further than the sun. Did you know that if you took an airplane to the sun, you know how long it would take to get there? It would take 19 years on a plane to get to the sun. Now I don't know about you, But I get a little stir-crazy sitting on the airplane. I can't even sit for an hour. I get up, I pace, I walk back and forth. But I'm not speaking about a destination now as close as the sun. Do you know how long it would take on an airplane to get to the stars? Well, if you wanted to travel to the nearest star, Proxima Centauri, it would only take 73,000 years to arrive. But I'm not even talking about a destination as close as a close star. Let's say you wanted to go to a further star, like Alpha Centauri. It's only four light years away. So traveling on a plane, it would take approximately four million years to get there. But I'm talking about a destination now that makes the sun and the stars seem like it's around the corner. I'm speaking about the highest heavens. I'm talking about the Kisei HaKavod and the journey we're taking, namely the journey of Tshuva, has to reach all the way to the Kisei HaKavod. 
But the good news is, friends, that tshuva is powerful enough, has the energy and the fuel to reach all the way to the Kisei HaKavayid. Amar Rebbe Levi, Amar Gedoyla Tshuva Shemagasad Kisei HaKavayid. Tshuva is great, it reaches all the way to the Kisei HaKavayid. It could reach the most remote and exalted destination. The question is, how are we going to make sure we get there? Not every trip, not every voyage is successful. Sometimes a trip... It's only an hour. You don't even begin the trip. How do you ensure that your journey of tshuva reaches all the way to the Kisei HaKavayit? You know, in life it's important to keep your eyes open. Because there are profound messages that are sent your way. And if we would only open our eyes and take the time to recognize it, it could be life-altering. You know who the master of this is? Someone who I admire very much. I even called him before Rosh Hashanah to wish him a good year. Rabbi Berowine. I have an old friend, uh, Donnie Stam, Rabbi Donnie Stam, who was a student of Rabbi Wine. He learned in his yeshiva in Sharatari Mansi years ago. He recently wrote a wonderful book about Rabbi Wine. And in his introduction, he brings the story that one of the students of Yeshiva Sharatari was walking, and all of a sudden a car pulls up to offer a ride, and it's none other than the Rosh Hashiva Rabbi Wine. Rabbi Wine motions for him to get in the car so he could drive him, drive him home. So they're sitting in the car, and he hears the following conversation play out on the radio. Hey Bob, did you go to the Mets game yesterday? Of course I went to the Mets game yesterday. But Bob, it was raining cats and dogs. He said, I don't care if it was snowing two feet. I don't miss the Mets game for nothing. So Rabbi Wine points to the radio and he said, that's tomorrow's drasha. But this is not a new or novel approach to life. This has always been the approach of great people, Gedolei Yisrael, to discern the voice of Hashem in the seemingly mundane occurrences in this world. Mi lanu gadol me Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who had this very approach to the seemingly trivial experiences in life. Rabbi Yisrael, who lived from 1810 to 1883, once spent the night in a shoemaker's house. And late at night, Rabbi Yisrael sees the shoemaker, he's still working by the light of the flickering, almost extinguished candle. Rabbi Yisrael goes to the man. It's so late, your candle's about to go out. Why are you still working? Shoemaker continues to work without even acknowledging Rabbi Yisrael's presence. He doesn't even turn, he just mutters, as long as the candle is burning, it's still possible to mend. So for weeks and weeks, Rabbi Yisrael was heard repeating the words of the shoemaker, as long as the candle is burning, it's still possible to mend. As long as there's life, as long as the candle is burning, we could fix, we could work, we could reconcile with those with whom we've become estranged. We could make peace, we could give tzedakah, we could do mitzvahs, if the candle is still burning. 
But friends, this approach to see the messages of Hashem in life was not the brainstorm of Rabbi Beryl Wine or Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. We know that one of the all-time great heroes of the Jewish people, he had a very humble and simple beginning. He was not successful, not spiritually, and not materially. He starts off as such an ignoramus that he requests a sage to bite his head off. And then one day he goes down to the riverside and he sees a well and there's a hole in the stone. How in the world did a hole get into the stone? What could possibly penetrate that stone? It's of such hard material. And then he sees there's water dripping. Drop after drop. And Rabbi Kiva says, What? The soft water penetrated the formidable stone? I can't believe it. Says Rabbi Akiva, a Kalvachoymer, an a fortiori argument. If water, which is so soft, can penetrate my heart, then Torah, which is like fire, certainly can make an impact on me. And Rabbi Akiva goes back to the base Medrash, and the rest was history. He learned for 24 years. He reached a level that if Chazal would not say this, who could say such a thing? Chazal say he reached the Madrega higher than Moshe. All the glory his eyes saw. The Medrash says, Mashaloi Rasa Moshe, Rasa Rabbi Akiva, Mukubalam say the 50th level. Moshe only had 49. Chamishim. Shari vina nivru ba'olam, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says. Kulam nitnu l'moshe chaser achas, shenemar v'atachasri omiyami eloikim. But Rabbi Akiva saw the 50th. He turned his life around. How? From his hasmada? No. Because of his frumkite? No. Because he kept his eyes open. He kept his heart open. But here's the question. Come on. What was the big revelation that Rabbi Kiva gleaned from the hole in the rock? Rabbi Kiva didn't know water could penetrate stone. This is physics 101. This is not a shocking phenomenon. You go to the seacoast, everybody knows water smooths stone. This is what altered the course of Rabbi Kiva's life. There must be something deeper here, something Rabbi Kiva learned about himself when he saw the hole in the stone. Rabbi Akiva is a personality that is very connected to Yom HaKippurim. Rabbi Akiva is the Tana who teaches the Jewish people about the greatness, the power of Yom HaKippurim. The last Mishnah in Yuma reads, Amar Rabbi Akiva, Ashreichem Yisrael, Lefnei Miatem Mitaharim, Umi Mitaher Eschem, Avichem Shabashamayim. Of all the Tanoim, the one who relays to Klal Yisrael and extols the power and the greatness of Yom HaKippurim is the great Tana Rabbi Akiva. Interestingly, the Chassam Soifer, every single year in his drasha for Kol Nidre, would expound about Rabbi Akiva and the teaching at the end of Yuma that Rabbi Akiva said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu purifies the Jewish people. 
Why did Rabbi Akiva and this mission at the end of Yuma capture the heart of the Chassam Soifer? That this was the subject of the Chassam Soifer's drasha every single year, Leil Yom HaKippur. Furthermore, why was Rabbi Akiva the one to teach Klal Yisrael about the power of Yom Kippur? And you know, there's this curious custom that is widespread in Klal Yisrael that Kol Nidre begins with what seems like a random pasuk. We begin Kol Nidre, Where does this pasuk come in on Yom Kippur? So let's clarify an important historical fact. We're familiar with the account given at the end of Masech Tabrachis about the life of Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara says in Samach Al-Famabez that the Romans made a decree that you're now to teach Torah. And Rabbi Akiva in defiance of the decree taught Torah publicly. And he was imprisoned. Says the Gemara, they took Rabbi Akiva out to be killed. When was it? It was Shas Kriyashima. It was the time of Kriyashima. And Rabbi Akiva was saying Shema. And he was Marich Be'achad. V'yatsasa Nishmasai Be'achad. And I think we're accustomed to thinking that if it was Man Kriya Shema, we imagine it, it was Kriya Shema Shal Shachris. The thing is, there's another account of the death of Rabbi Kiva in the Yalkut Shemoni. The Yalkut Shemoni in Mishlei Remes Tav Tav Mem Dalet, it reads that Rabbi Yeshua HaGarsi was servicing Rabbi Akiva in prison. It was Erev Yom HaKippurim. And later that night, Elio Anavi came to Rabbi Yeshua HaGarsi and he said Rabbi Akiva died. Says Reb Shmuel Meir, he put the Gemara together with the Medrash. That means Rabbi Akiva was killed on Yom Kippur. And when the Gemara says it was Man Kriyashma, it must have been Kriyashma Shal Arvis. Thus, Leil Yoim Hakipurim is the yard side of Rabbi Akiva. Says the grandson of the Chsam Seifer. It is well known that Rabbi Yitzchak of Vina known as the Orzarua, was studying the subject of how to spell names in Gitin. And when he came to the name Akiva, he was unsure how to spell it. Is it Ayin Kuf Yud Vez Hey? Or Ayin Kuf Yud Vez Aleph? And Shemayim showed him the following Pasuk. At first he's bewildered. What's the relevance of this Pasuk? But then he realized if you take the Soifei Tevos of this Pasuk, Oyer ends in a Reish. Zarua ends in an Ayin. Latzadik, a Kuf. Uli Yishrei, Yud, Leiv, Vez, Simcha, Hey. It spells out Rabbi Akiva with a Hey at the end. By the way, we don't Pasuk in that way. Some Soifei writes in a Tshuva, Eben Ezer, Chelek, Beis, Simen, Chav, Hey. That originally it had a Hey at the end. But it turned to an aleph when Yatsasan Nishmasai Be'echad. Says the Machane Chaim in his Sefer Shari Chaim on Mishlei. Page 128. This explains why the night of Yom Kippur we kick off the evening. Since it's the arts of Rabbi Akiva, we offer a hidden hesped to the great Tana who was murdered that evening. 
This says the Machne Chaim is the reason why Chassam Sofer always expounded upon Rabbi Akiva and his teaching of Amar Rabbi Akiva, Shrecha Yisrael, the night of Yom Kippur. It's to invoke and evoke the merit of the Tana Eloiki, Rabbi Akiva, the night of his yard site. As Rabbi Akiva, then, is the paragon of someone who returns to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he must have something very important to teach the Jewish people about Shuvah. And indeed, Rabbi Akiva comes and teaches the Jewish people. Ama Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael, Lefnei mi atem mitaharim, Umi mitahar eschem, Avichem shabashamayim. And Rabbi Akiva cites two psukim. Pasuk number one, V'zarakti aleichem mayim tahoyrem. Pasuk number two, Oimer Mikveh Yisrael Hashem. Why do we need these two psukim? So Rav Pam would say over the name of the son of Rabbi Yisrael Chanan Specter, there are two types of tahara. There are two types of purification. One type of purification is a mikvah. In order to be purified in a mikvah, your entire being has to be immersed in the mikvah. If even one hair is sticking out of the mikvah, it's completely invalid. If even your pinky is sticking out of the mikvah, it's completely invalid. But there's another kind of purification. When the Beis HaMikdash stood, there was something called the Mechatas, a special purifying water. And when it comes to the Mechatas, if the water is sprinkled, even on one limb, if you have a Nagia Kol Shehu with the water. A significant purification has been achieved. Likewise, Rapam would say, the same way there are two types of purification. There are two types of tshuva. One type of tshuva is analogous to a mikvah, in an immersive process, where a person completely transforms themselves into what the Rambam calls a beria chadasha, analogous to a mikvah, Total immersion in the tshuva process. Correcting all misdeeds. But there's another form of tshuva that is also a valid type of tshuva. And it might be a tshuva that's very relevant and very accessible to any type of person. And that's the tshuva that's analogous to the Mayim HaTahiram. Maybe a person says, you know, I have so many areas to correct. You know, I don't really make brachas with kavana. I don't really think before Hashem, I say Hashem's name that Hashem is Adoin Koil Hoya Maybe I'm going to choose one bracha to say with Kavana. Maybe once a day or even once a week. You know, I don't spend enough time learning. Really, I need to be learning every night and a Sunday morning and Matzah Shabbos. But right now, I commit to learn 30 extra minutes a week. Is a person becoming a Barya Chadasha? Is a person completely transforming their entire essence? Maybe not. But when it comes to the Mechatas, it doesn't have to be fully immersive. Even a Nagia Koshahu effectuates a degree of Tahara. Is a person perfectly pure? No, not yet. He still will require immersion in a mikvah. But a significant stage of purification process has transpired. And ultimately, Habola Tahir Therefore, Rapam would say over 
that Rabbi Akiva teaches that when a person is not able to do Ve'oimer Mikveh Yisrael Hashem, a good option, a good first option is V'zarakti Aleichem Mayim Tahoyrimu Tahartem. Change one small area, one small mitzvah, it will propel you to the next and from there to the next. And who knows, perhaps even to Tshuva Shlema. This then is the Chiddush of Rabbi Akiva. Tshuva doesn't have to begin with Mikveh Yisrael Hashem. There could be a significant level of Tshuva achieved through the Mayim Tahirim. But let's ask ourselves, where did Rabbi Akiva learn this from? Why Rabbi Akiva, more than any other Tana, teaches the value of the small droplets in life? Let's come back to Rabbi Akiva at the well. He sees the water piercing a hole in the stone. What was the big insight that Rabbi Akiva learned? Everyone knows water effaces stone. What did Rabbi Akiva learn about himself? Says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, Rabbi Akiva looked at himself and he looked in his own heart and he said, I'll tell you the truth, Akiva. You just learned in Ahmed. Are you any different? Do you feel different? I don't discern any noticeable difference. I just dove in. There was a good Shemana essay. I don't feel like a different person. I don't feel like it's really influencing or elevating me. I'm, the st- I'm still the same lowly shepherd boy. But this was Rabbi Kiva's mistake. Even though he didn't discern the effect it was having on him, but it was making a marked impact. And he looked at the water dripping on the stone. And he said, even though I do not see with the naked eye any impact one drop has, but obviously each droplet is making an impact because if it wasn't, there wouldn't be a hole in the rock. And you know what, if I go back to yeshiva and I learn today, I might not notice a difference and if I learn another week, I might not notice a difference and if I learn a month, I I might not notice a difference. But in a number of years... The Torah is going to elevate me. It's going to make a tremendous difference because every inch, every millimeter, every micrometer makes a difference. Every droplet is significant. And therefore of all the Tanoim, we could humbly suggest Rabbi Akiva could turn around and teach the world, Amar Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael, Lifnei mi atem mitarem, umi mitaher eschem, avichem sheba shamayim, shenemar. Vizarakti aleichem mayim tohirem utahartem. Rabbi Akiva could teach Klal Yisrael because he could say, I know from my own life, from my personal experiences, that every drop makes a difference. And he teaches you don't have to make a fully immersive tshuva. Even the smallest droplet of tshuva is effective to an extent. And in one moment, seeing the drops on the rock, Rabbi Akiva changed his life. He changed the course of his life. He went from being a simple shepherd boy to a career of eternal merit. Yesh, koina, oilamai, bisha. Achas, 
Rashi Teva is the Mekubalim say Akiva. That was the essence of the Sol Rabbi Akiva. That in one moment, that every small moment is consequential. The entire Torah that we have today is because of the moment that Rabbi Kiva saw the water dripping on the stone. And if he, and he said, if the water could penetrate the stone, it could penetrate my heart. It says the Gemara in Sanhedrin The entire Torah comes from Rabbi Akiva. Stam Mishnah Rameir. Stam Toisefta Rabbi Nechemia. Stam Sifra Rabbi Yehuda. Stam Sifri Rabbi Shemain. Vekulhu Aliba to Rabbi Akiva. Everything literally stems from Rabbi Akiva. Everything Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Nechemi, Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Shimon taught all come from Rabbi Akiva. But Rabbi Moshe Shapiro interprets Aliba a little bit differently. It's all upon the heart of Rabbi Akiva. All the time we have today comes from the lessons Rabbi Akiva learned from the water dripping on the stone. That if the water could penetrate the stone, it could penetrate his lave. Kulan Aliba to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva teaches the world that Shuva reaches the Kisei But the way you're going to get there is one step at a time. There's an electrifying gematria offered by the great Makobo, Rav Shamshin Rav Ashtapal. And he introduces a new system of gematria. To introduce it to you, I'll give you an example. Parshas Kisavai, the Pasuk says, that Moshe inscribed the Torah on stone, and he expounded it, Ba'er Heitev, Beshivim Lashon, in 70 languages. The question the Mizrahi asks on Rashi, is where is there any indication in the Pasuk that Heitev means 70 languages? Says the Mizrahi, a wondrous System of gematria. You take the word hetev. Hey is five. Hey yod is fifteen. Hey yod tes is twenty-four. Hey yod tes vav. Hey yod tes vez is twenty-six. Added up seventy. Rashi got it from this new system of gematria. Says Rav Shamshin of Ashtapol. Gedoyla tshuva shemagasad kisei Tshuva is great. It reaches the throne of glory. Says Rav Shamshin. Where do Chazal derive this? Take the kaf of kisei. 20, Kaf Samach, 80, Kaf Samach Aleph, 81, Kaf Samach Aleph, Hey, 86, Kaf Samach Aleph, Hey, Chav, 106, Kaf Samach Aleph, Hey, Chav, Vez, 108, Kaf Samach Aleph, Hey, Chav, Vez, Vav, 114, add it up, 713, it equals Tshuva, Kisei Kava, it equals Tshuva, but not regularly, only Kaf, Kaf Samach, Kaf Samach Aleph, why only in that way? Says the Sefer Mishnah Siyosef. When does Tshuva reach the Kisei HaKavayd? Only in this unusual system of Gematria. Only small steps. Kaf. Kaf Samach. Kaf Samach Aleph. Kaf Samach Aleph Hei Chaf. Kaf Samach Aleph Hei Chav Vav. Vez. One little droplet at a time. That's the tshuva taught by Rabbi Akiva. V'zarakti aleichem mayim tohirim utahartem. You know, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter has a life-saving chiddush. This chiddush is perhaps our greatest opening of hope on Yom Kippurim. The Gemara says tshuva is a fa- Hashem atones for those who do tshuva and does not atone for those who don't do tshuva. 
So for instance, if someone ate treif and wore shatnas, if they do tshuva for treif, Hashem will atone for them eating treif and not for wearing shatnas. You know, says Rabbi Sosalanter, back in the day, there were two strings of the tzitzis, there were the blue and the white. Which was a greater sin not to have? The Gemara Menachah says, Kasha Oinshan Shalavan Yoiser Me Ansham Shaltchelas. More difficult is the punishment for not wearing the white strings, more than the punishment for not wearing the blue strings. Because it was easy to get white strings. So not getting the white strings is much more severe than not getting the blue strings. Says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, a life-saving chidosh. The same way Hashem forgives for Averois that we do tshuva on, and Avera could be compartmentalized to different groups when it's easy not to do the Avera, when it's hard not to do the Avera. What are we more accountable for? For when it's easy not to do the Avera. Because it was so easy to overcome. Therefore, says Rabbi Yisrael, a life-saving Eitzah. Let's say... We do an Avera. Let's say we don't learn enough. There are times that we don't learn when it's easy not to learn. There are times we don't learn when it's hard not to learn. What am I more accountable for? For not learning when it's easy. Says Rabbi Yisrael, I could say, I'm going to do tshuva for the chilek of the Avera, of when it's easy not to do the Avera. Because that's what I'm more accountable for. And Hashem will forgive me for that chilek of the Avera. So I say, Rebunisham, this year, maybe it's hard for me to learn when I come home from a, a, a long day of work. But Sunday morning, it's not hard for me to learn. I'm doing tshuva on the fact I didn't learn when it was easy for me not to learn. Or if a person is a Baal Kas, or a Baal Lashon Hara, there might be times that it's easy not to speak Lashon Hara. There might be times that it's hard not to speak Lashon Hara. For instance, it's easy not to speak Lashon Hara when one is sleeping. Joking. So do tshuva, you say, this year, I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara when it's easy for me not to speak Lashon Hara. Is that a full tshuva? It's a form of tshuva. It's an effective step. By the way, there's another thing we need to hash out. It might be hard for me never to speak Lashon Hara. But it's not hard for me not to speak Lashon Hara 30 minutes a week. So I'm more accountable for never taking upon myself not to speak Lashon Hara for 30 minutes a week. So this year I'm going to do tshuva and I'm going to take azman, maybe once to the Shabbos, that come what may, I'm not saying a negative thing about somebody. This is the tshuva that Rabbi Kiva taught. This is the tshuva of Zarakti Aleichem Mayim Tahira. This is the tshuva we're suggesting that Rabbi Akiva learned from the dripping water that pierced the stone. And we have a lot because of that insight. Kulan Aliba de Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva even learned from fish. When Rabbi Akiva was asked, how, did you, how could you risk your life to teach Tahira? Rabbi Akiva, as related at the end of he relates the parable of the fox that invites the fish to stroll with him on the dry land. And the fish says, no, that's not a good idea. If in the place of my vitality I'm endangered, then all the more so if I leave the water. Says Rabbi Akiva, if when I'm immersed in Torah my life's in danger, then it certainly will be in danger if I leave the Torah. 
Rabbi Akiva saw, and even in the fish, inspiration to return to Torah. As many of you know, this summer I had the opportunity to spend five days in Alaska. Many people said, Alaska? What's in Alaska? Which tzaddikim are buried in Alaska? Which kivrei tzaddikim are there? I tell you the truth, I did not go to Alaska for kivrei tzaddikim. I went to see fish. The fish? Yeah, I remember. Many years ago, I heard a tape from Rabbi Friend. And he was speaking about what he saw in Alaska. And I said, I got to see this. It would be great to say this at a Shabbat Shuvah So I'll tell you about the fish I saw in Alaska. In Alaska, you'll see something extraordinary. Maybe you know about this. There's a phenomenon. Salmon come back to spawn. The salmon run. You could see streams north of Valdez, Alaska. Dozens of mature salmon wallowing in the pond. These very salmon, five years earlier, were hatched in that stream. And from that stream, they went to Prince William Sound. And from there to the Gulf of Alaska. And from there to the Pacific, 8,000 miles away. And they come back, something sets off in their fish brain. They come back through the Pacific, to the Gulf of Alaska, to Prince William Sound, to the river, to some far Darbana stream in the middle of nowhere, to the spot that they were born. It's a nest. It's a miracle. Why do they come back? It's not intelligence. They don't remember. God programmed them that, that way. They, Hashem programmed the nature of the salmon that they return to the place that they were hatched five years earlier and then they die. The Rebbein Shalom doesn't make miracles for nothing. This is a hafla vafela. The world would be different if the salmon would go and go to Miami Beach and die. Why do they need to go back to the same spot that they were born? What would Rabbi Akiva have said if he saw the salmon run? Maybe Rabbi Akiva would have said, the Rebunisham wants to demonstrate to Klal Yisrael the ability and the capacity to return, to come back to the source. Through obstacles, through nets, through beers, disease, Bald eagles, sport fishermen. The salmon goes through, but it comes back and it swims upstream against the current, jumping over waterfalls. It could jump over 12 feet in the air to scale an obstacle. Three Banisham looks into the Taira. There's tshuva. He creates the world with the tyra. So if he creates the world with the tyra, there has to be an example of tshuva in the bria. Rebbe Hashem says, I'm going to demonstrate what lengths one could go to do tshuva. Something goes off in the brain of the salmon. Something goes off in the soul of the Jew. Lefnei Hashem Tataro. The beginning of Elul, I was invited to Panama. So I took Mayor with me. I figured, okay, I want to see one of the wonders of the world, the Panama Canal. Connects the Atlantic to the Pacific from Cologne to Balboa through the Panama Canal Railway. 
not for the Panama Canal, ships would have to sail an additional 8,000 miles around the southern tip of South America, around Cape Horn. So how is the ship going to travel through Panama and obviate the need to go around South America? This is the wonder of the Panama Canal. The Panama Canal will lift up ships literally over 100,000 tons. You know, there, there was a Norwegian cruise line that weighed more than 168,000 tons. And instead of sailing around South America, that could take weeks, it travels through the Panama Canal in 8 minutes. And from one ocean to the other, in 10 hours instead of weeks. How does the Panama Canal operate? You know, the water levels of the respective oceans are different. It has to lift up the ship 85 feet in the air, 26 meters above sea level to the Gatun Lake, and then lower it back down into the ocean. How could you lift something 168,000 tons? Even cranes can't lift up such a thing. Simple. Doesn't even need technology. No technology is involved. Gravity. It lets out water. And there's one thing in this world more powerful than all the cranes in the world. Water. And the water is let out. And the water fills the canal. And in a cinch, the boat is lifted 85 feet in the air. Mayim could take the heaviest thing in the world and lift it so high, lift it to the heavens. What would Rabbi Akiva have said if he saw the Panama Canal? Rabbi Akiva would have made the following, Sometimes we feel heavy, bogged down, sullied, weighed down by sin. How are we going to rise above it? Rabbi Akiva would have made the following, If water, which is so soft, could raise up a ship that weighs 168,000 tons, imagine if I immerse myself in the waters of Torah, how high the Torah could elevate me, how it could lift me above my shortcoming, above my sorrows, above my troubles. If only Rabbi Akiva would have saw the Panama Canal. He would have said, look at the Kayach HaTayra. So let me end up by telling you about my trip to Cleveland. I told you I'm run- I was waiting on the runway. Well, actually, see, I was afraid to put any luggage under the plane because I've already been around the block putting luggage under the plane and never seeing it. So my wife got me a brand new suitcase. Carry on. I would put my Towson Tefillin on it, a few personal items, and I'm not going to give them the luggage. You know, when you put the luggage under the plane, it's ki'ilu yisang, ve'heve hefker ka'afra da'ama. So I'm coming through security with three items. I have my hat box, I have my knapsack with my notes, and I have my new wheelie. And I put them through security. It was a very hot day. I said it was 90 degrees. I was feeling a little dehydrated. I got some water to drink in a concession stand. I'm sitting by the gate. My hat box, my knapsack, where's my wheelie? Where's my wheelie? I'm thinking, what's my wheelie? Do I have my notes? That's the first thing that came to mind. That's why I was going to Cleveland to give a drush. I need my notes. But my talus and tefillin, it's in my wheelie. Where, I can't believe it. It's because I wasn't used to traveling with it. So I forgot to, I don't know what, where it went. 
So I ran back to the concession stand. Did you see a wheelie? Did you see a wheelie? No, no wheelie. I can't believe it. I left it by security. Nah. You know, you leave a, a suitcase unattended in an a airport. I don't know what, they blow it up or something. I run back. My adrenaline is pumping. I run back to the security. I look on the conveyor belt. It's not there. Look on the other conveyor. And then sure enough, in the middle, anyone who knows me knows I'm connected to Rabbi Meir, Al-Qadu Meir Aneni. There it was, sitting there unattended for 30 minutes. Of course, I was very grateful. I'm sitting on the plane, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this flight has been canceled. If it needed to be canceled, why did I need to come to the airport and go through this whole thing? And then I realized Rabbi Hashem is sending me a very important message. You know why I was reunited with my luggage, at least so quickly? Because I was still in the airport. Imagine if I would have flown to Cleveland. The likelihood of me being reunited with my suitcase and my Talisman fill-in in a timely fashion was nil if I would ever see it again. But the reason why I got my suitcase back and I was able to go back and find it is because I was still in the airport. And if you're still in the airport, there's a fighting shot. You could find your suitcase. And the Rebbein Shalom was highlighting that the power of a Yom Kippur, the power of an Aser Simei when you're still in the airport, when we're still here in this world, when you're still alive, you could go back in time, you could correct, you could mend, you could fix, you could have charata, you could do tshuva, you could find your suitcase if you're still around. You can't do these things if you're not in the airport. But when you're alive, you could still correct. As long as the candle is burning, you could still mend. Friends, here we are. We're still in the airport. You could still find your suitcase. You could still do tshuva. You could still reach the Kisei HaKavayr. And how do you get there? One drop at a time. Kaf. Kaf Samach. Kaf Samach Aleph. Drop after drop after drop. Ashreichem Yisrael. Lefnei miyatem metaharem. Humi metahar eschem. Avichem sheba shamayim. Shenemar. Dezarakti aleichem mayim tahirem. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.